Hello and welcome, my friends, to another episode of The Thing About Cars. We have a full house around our table today. Very happy to be with you. First, we've got Don. Don, how are you? I am alive. I'm glad you're alive. (laughs) (laughs) And smiling on a rainy Sunday. Uh, Dave, how are you doing? Uh, Recently resuscitated. Recently resuscitated. (laughs) I hope voluntarily. Uh, (laughs) Ben, how are you? Oh, I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Ben, who's our guest for today? Today, we have Ross Robbins, who's a friend of mine I know from the Lotus community and a diehard road tripaholic, I think is how he described himself in an online thing. And uh, and he's about to do a real interesting road trip. Hi there, Ross. Hello. Yes, there's Ross. Uh, a diehard tripaholic. I like that. <laughs> well, it, it, I've taken... Uh, Numerous long, long trips in my old Lotus cars around the country, but this is the big one. This is the mega trip. Okay. I can't wait to get into it. Before we go there, let me ask a quick Grand Trivia Auto question. This one sent to us by our friend Tim Rogers, good friend of the show, occasional guest. Uh, You know, I hear Tim in his spare time uh, paints um, Hummel figurines. Wow. I'm lying, of course. I'm just making things up. I want to see if Tim's listening to this episode. Um, I was so, going to say, what? <laughs> and why? And oh, my goodness. I have, this mental, I have this mental image of like taking Hummel figurines and painting them into the goth characters. <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining racing colors since you know, that's what he's into. I, I, I just see the value of them going down, 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 down. <laughs> Tim, we love you, just in case there's any doubt about that. Um, so Tim has this great question. It's a, it's a little complex, so bear with me here. Tim says, in February, the temperature got down to 50 degrees below zero. That's negative 46 degrees Celsius in northeast Minnesota. According to their 2020 owner's manuals, how low does the temperature have to drop before the Nissan Leaf and the Tesla Model S drivers need to evacuate their electric cars to warmer locations? So what are those limits for the Leaf and the Model S? The choices are A, and this is for each car, right? So Leaf and Model S has a temperature rating next to each one. A, Leaf needs to be evacuated at zero degrees Celsius. The Model S can get down to negative 12. That's our first choice. Choice B, the Leaf can go down to negative four degrees Fahrenheit. That's negative 20 degrees Celsius. And the Model S can go down to negative 25 degrees Celsius. And then choice C, the leaf can get as cold as negative 13 degrees Fahrenheit. That's negative 25 degrees Celsius. Or uh, or the Model S in the same line can get down to negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit, negative 30 degrees Celsius. At that point, which of those points is the moment that you need to get your electric car out of Dodge? So those are our choices. We will answer that question at the end of the show. Thank you, Tim. Have good fun painting your Hummels. Let's turn the table to uh, to Ross. Uh, in fact, Ben, why don't you get us started? How did you guys meet, and 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 how does the topic of how does one become a a, a road tripaholic? Well, we met through some mutual friends. Um, the uh, previous owner of my car basically uh, introduced us because we at the time had the same model of Lotus. Well, I've had a number of Lotuses over my lifetime, thirteen in total, which indicates some sort of a mental disorder, I think. I'm not sure which. But I'm down to two now, having sold the one that's like Ben's. And I've taken big trips in each of my cars. I've taken 1,000-mile trips in a Lotus 14, which is an elite, an all-fiberglass monocoque from 1960. Uh, 2,000-mile trips in that. I've taken uh, about six or seven 
trips of over a thousand miles in my Lotus Seven, my sixty-eight Seven. I've take I just finished two years ago a fifty-five hundred mile trip in my Plus Two, which is like Ben's. But this is going to be my swan song. I'm getting old, and before I fall off my perch, I'm going to do one big last uh, hurrah. And this one is to the four corners of the continental United States. Ooh. So are you? where are you starting from? I live in Colorado Springs, Colorado. That's my starting point. And for the first leg, I go from Colorado Springs, sort of diagonally southeast to Card Sound Road in Florida, which is the road at the end of the tip of Florida that goes on the bridge over to Key Largo. Yeah. Wow. And then from there, I go up the East coast all the way up to Maine, uh, to a spot. It's a, it's a curve in the road, um, near Madawaska, Maine, but the road just bends a little bit. And again, my, uh, cop out phrase is that I'm going to the furthest point publicly accessible on a highway or a public road that I can reach because that spot is about a hundred yards off the road at the edge of the river, but it's private property. And I don't want to get shot. (laughs) (laughs) That that is a reasonable um, limitation to put on a road trip. I thought so. I thought it would be very useful to do that. And then um, when you get to these points, do you just get to the point and do a U-turn and keep going or what happens? Well, it's a circuitous route, so I, I kind of get to the point. I demark the point. I'll take photographs and stuff, mm-hmm. and I have submitted this to Guinness World Records. Cool. Whether they take it or not, I don't know, but it's at least submitted. So you have to document all that, and so I'm going to document that with photographs that I've reached these points. And the whole reason I'm doing this trip anyway, besides the enjoyment for myself and the fun, is I'm doing a fundraiser for the Roundup River Ranch, which is one of the Paul Newman hole in the wall gang camps that's here in Colorado. And I've got a dollar a mile goal, which is 11,500 bucks for 11,500 miles. Wow. And I'm at about 7,560 bucks already. So get out your wallets, folks. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. Ross, uh, first question I have for you is why lotuses? I was, um, uh, just a British car guy. I had an Austin Healey 3000 and, and, uh, drove it for a number of years when my kids were kind of old enough to be potty trained, but not clean up their rooms, you know, that stage. And, uh, I was, they were independent enough. I could go do stuff. And so I bought this Healey and I drove it for a number of years, but then I thought the other thing I wanted to do was vintage race. And so I started vintage racing in an Austin Healey Sprite. And that Sprite and I learned a racecraft and I had a lot of fun with it, but I kept breaking axles because um, I kept overstressing the car. I was pushing it too hard. So in 1994, I was uh, looking at an opportunity to buy a Lotus 7 from a guy that was had professionally prepared cars and he was selling his Lotus 7. And I thought, well, that'll be a way for me to move up in a car that has more performance that I won't break as probable. Uh, probably as much uh, likelihood of breaking. And so I went and I couldn't fit in the car, but he also had a Lotus Elan race prepped car and I fit in that like a glove. So of course it was about 50% higher price than the seven. So I hocked everything I had and I got that car and spent 15 years with it on racetracks all across the country. And I had a ball with that car, but it introduced me to the, 
kind of the uh, giant killer aspect of Lotus. And I was curious about the mark and how did it, how did they get these things to do so much with so little? So I uh, started doing research and buying books and things. And the, the Chapman mystique is really amazing. And the, the things that that little company achieved with a really small workforce, I mean, they were world champions in formula one in the sixties built um, absolute mold breaking landmark cars, race, race cars, road cars with just this handful of people. It was just astonishing to me how, what they did. And so I started saying, well, I want one of every one and began the process of slowly acquiring it. So I only ended up with 13 over the years. Only, only, (laughs) but, uh, but I've scratched the itch and, and I'm, I've written a couple of books about my disease. They're on Amazon if anybody cares, but uh, they're, they're really expensive. One is $9.95 and one is $12.95. <laughs> what are, what are, please name the books, Ross. The first one is called Road Trip, Chasing Blue Skies on Roads That Go Forever. And the second one is called Highways, Byways, and Racetracks, Very cool. Adventures on Asphalt. And I've so, read them both and I recommend them. <laughs> And, um, and Ben will tell you that every, every one of those stories in that book includes a highlight and a low light uh, of, of, a, <laughs> of a particular adventure, a particular trip. Yeah. Wasn't there one, uh, I think it was in Nevada somewhere, you lost a fan belt or something and improvised a solution? Yeah, that was, uh, I was coming back from California, having gone on the the USA sevens, 2005 tour where 55 Brits came over, shipped their sevens over and landed in uh, Houston, Texas, and then drove on a very circuitous lengthy route all the way to California. I joined up with them and I, my car broke down in, in um, Willow Springs uh, because I was using it on the racetrack way above what I should have been doing with a road car because I have no common sense. And um, so the car was broken. So I had it repaired, had the engine rebuilt and went out to pick it up. And I was on my way back and I was in Nevada on us 50 called the loneliest road in America. And I will tell you that is an appellation that is well-earned. <laughs> there is nothing out there. Well, somewhere in a 50 mile stretch between the two tiny towns of Austin and Eureka, I uh, saw the charging light come on, on my dashboard and the, And I thought, what could that be? So it turned out it was a broken generator mount. The mount had not been tightened properly when it was reinstalled. Okay. So the, so it broke uh, because it was supported by the adjuster side of the um, mount only. And, and it cracked, the vibration cracked it and it broke off. Well, now I had no fan belt, which had dropped who knows where a quarter mile, a mile, five miles back, who knows? But I'm sitting in the middle of the loneliest road in America, and there's nothing. No cell phone service, no people, no nothing. And I thought, how am I going to get out of here? So I looked in the back of my 7, which, as you can imagine, the little boot of a 7 does not contain very much. But I had every, all my stuff tied down with bungee cords, and I thought, aha. So I became a bungee cord surgeon, and I removed the ends, those big heavy metal ends off the two, and then took a little piece of wire and wired the two little loop ends together, and I put it around the two pulleys, the crankshaft pulley and the water pump, and to see what and I started the car, and it was ticking over beautifully, and it was working great. So I started to go, and I thought, well, before I go, I better 
check and see how this works. So I revved it up slightly, very gently, and the belt flew off. So now I had a dilemma. What do I do? Well, I, I, I started creeping up on it, and I repeatedly would go to about 1,700 RPM and fly off. Well, the only common sense thing to do is start to proceed at 1,600 RPM. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I got to Eureka. I found a fan belt and replaced it. That just went around the two pulleys, and I drove total loss until I could meet my friend in a, with a trailer. Right. And, you know. And and just for the listeners who may be unaware, the Lotus 7 is about as minimal a car as you can get, at least about as minimal as you can have any fun with. Yeah. Uh, there's not much to it. It's basically a motor and wheels and a little itty bitty bit of body work. It's actually quite an iconic car in, in, its, yeah. in its own right. It's, it's yeah. But uh, most replicated car in history I read somewhere. Really? <laughs> hmm. well, and technically still in production uh, yeah. 70 years later because, or 65 years later, because uh, the rights were sold to Caterham and they're still making them. Yeah. So I'm curious. It's it's an open car. Did you have one with with the enclosure in it? Isn't it an open? I drove over forty five thousand miles in that car, coast to coast, border to border. I went all the way down the Mississippi River on the River Road, for example, and I never had a top on the car because <laughs> the top I had didn't fit over my roll bar that I increased the size of to protect my noggin because I had tall in the torso, and so rather than um, sacrifice my body. I sacrifice my weather comfort. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. But I have a theory because I've done this in my convertible. If you can get over 60 miles an hour, the wind just goes right over you <laughs> or the rain and whatever. It just goes right over you. As long as you're well invested in sunblock. Yeah, <laughs> that too. But yeah. Especially if you're in Texas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just Sun- we Sunblock is an absolute requirement. Absolutely. You're right. SPF 50. SPF 50. Did we, did we finish your track around the country after Maine? I may have interrupted you. I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm only in the Northeast Point now. Okay. I, I got it. So then I come diagonally below the Great Lakes. I come back to Colorado and I stop. I'm going to kind of recheck and renew and do laundry and say hi to my wife. And then I start off Southwest and I go all the way to the Southwestern Point, which is not where I thought it was because my logic was. San Diego, right? Exactly, where where the Mexican border runs into the sea. Nope. But it's not. Below Tucson, right? It's what? Below Tucson. No, nope. no, no. No, no. It's, uh, it's, it's up the coast on California because if you oh. – California, California tucks under. And so if you take a plane that, that comes up to the southwestern border or southwestern side of the United States, it touches a point which is on Vandenberg Air Force Base, which I can't get to. So the nearest point is um, – called Jalama Beach, which is a little point that sticks out just south of Vandenberg. And that's near Lompoc, California. Okay. I've, I've been there because that's on the other side of Santa Barbara Correct. and below Santa Maria. Correct. Yep, I've been there. That's actually really pretty. We stayed there uh, and it's a, there's a beautiful bed and breakfast in that, or yeah, there's a, like a nice little beach place. You can stay there. Ross does not need bed and breakfast. He sleeps in his Lotus. <laughs> not, not quite mickey but motel six is plenty good for ross there's plenty of those out in california so oh yeah now, i see exactly where you're talking about that's route one yeah and then i go up route one basically all the way except i've just been thrown a curveball which is that part of route one slid into the sea near big oh, Sur about a month ago yep. i was about to point that out yes it did so hopefully Unless you can jump it. 
<laughs> Don, we've talked about not killing the guests. So I'm sorry. I just so excited. <laughs> sorry, Ross. We want you to live. That's all right. I, I, I mean, I hadn't thought about that, but there's, I've got a little shred of evil, evil Knievel in me. I guess I could uh, give it a whirl, there but you go. I think I'm going to have to detour back into the mm-hmm. uh, inner uh, road up near 101. There's a road that parallels it and then back down to the coast before I get to San Francisco, probably about Monterey, I can get back on the highway one. And then I go straight North on highway one, basically all the way up to. Yeah. Uh, you cut the coast. Completely. All the way up the coast. I, yep. I've done that. We've done route one from um, Monterey all the way down to Long Beach. Well, we I went, get to Long we Beach. To south. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go to Long Beach, Washington and then keep going. All right. So up, I go up to the very northwest corner, which is um, on the tip of the Olympic Peninsula, mm-hmm. and it's called Cape Flattery. And uh, there's a road that goes out to a lighthouse out there, but the lighthouse is about a half mile on an island, about a half mile off the coast. So I'm going to go out to the point, take a picture of that lighthouse, and then turn around and start back. And then I go across the northern tier, and I'm going to go over to uh, – Port towns and take a ferry across and then up to route 20 if it's open um if you're following on a map or looking at a map yep i am that, looking at a map yep. that's the cascades highway but if that's closed which it may be because i'm going to be there in early may um and they it's got a ton of snow on it it's not open right now but if it's not open then i drop down to highway two and go across and uh then i'll go across and i'm going to try and get to the going to the sun road although that's an option in Montana because it's one on my bucket list. And then I come down to the, uh, to Belfort, South Dakota, which is the geographic center of the United States of the 50 states. States, including Alaska, including Alaska and Hawaii. Oh, so it's the geographic center of the 50 states on my way back home from Maine. I'm going to go through Lebanon, Kansas, which is the geographic center of the 48 states. So in addition to the two centers, and the four points, I'm also going to hit the highest town, registered town, uh, which is Alma, Colorado, at about 10,600 feet, and the lowest town, which is Furnace Creek, California, at 180 feet below sea level. Wow. Super cool. cool. Now, I, I'm such a geography nut. Are, is the Guinness have these four corners as their, uh, the actual, like, are you going by the Guinness standards? There, there are no Guinness standards. Nobody's done this. Okay. So, but I mean, are, does Guinness recognize these as the actual four corners of the United States, or the, the longest four. road trip, or something like that? G- Guinness hasn't recognized no, uh, anything yet, so I don't know. Okay. Uh, um, uh, TBD. Okay. Yeah. So, too bad you can't get in contact with the PR folks at Vandenberg and get them to escort you across the base or something like that. That would be a a nice uh, thing to yeah. achieve, and you know, especially as you're doing this as a fundraiser and a and a very public publicly, you know, internet broadcasted affair, maybe, maybe they'd be willing to give you an escort amidst, you know, a bunch of F-22 Raptors or something. <laughs> yeah, it would I, be, it would be cool. I I would love that, but I don't have any contact. And again, that's a very secure base. And yeah. they, the, the message I got from a brief inquiry was don't bother. Ah, yeah. That's too bad. That's okay. It's still going to be a blast and I can't wait to see your progress along it. Uh, along the trip. I have um, uh, any other things we need to ask Ross though, before we wrap his guest segment. 
Uh, I need one more thing. I need to tell you guys one more thing. Yeah. I I have put together a blog, which is called www.xcountryelan, all one word, dot com. And I've posted on it. I've got about 20 posts on it already that that will give you the route, the day by days, and you can follow along and stuff. And when I get on the road, I'm going to make a very valiant attempt to post daily. I don't know how I can, whether I can keep that commitment, but that's my intention. Let's take a moment, too, for anybody who's unfamiliar out there in the audience to uh, talk about the car itself a little bit. This is a pretty minimal vehicle, too, right? Well, compared to my 7, it's a limo. but Right. Oh, yeah. And, and then it makes, and then, and then the Elan itself makes a Miata look like a barge. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it is. If you put the two of them together, you see a Miata looks gigantic next to, a, to an Elan. But yeah. The car is 12 feet, 1 inches long. And it's um, just a tiny thing, 155, 13 tires, just to give you kind of a sense of scale. This is a, it's a little car and it, but it does have a top and I can get that top put up in about seven or eight minutes. And so the storm's generally over by the time I get the top (laughs) on. Right. This is a top that. 1965. 65. Okay. Yeah, that's a top that you have to assemble the frame and put the cloth over it, right? That's affirmative. Yeah, as opposed to the nice, neat folding kind that most convertibles had. Uh, and then you've got, I guess, just enough room for everything you need to bring. Well, that's because I'm not taking my wife, so I got the right seat <laughs> and footwell. But if she had come, then we'd have had to have a trailer for her seven steamer trunks and so on. Oh, uh, yeah. Just enough of a passenger seat to put a little, you know, uh, buffet of snacks there and you're ready to go which go ahead dave Ross, i was gonna say what's your time frame for all of this so when are you leaving and and since you're going to be posting we want to make sure that that our our listeners have the opportunity to 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 track your progress so when are you planning to start and when are you hoping to finish uh dave i've programmed about 50 mile an hour's uh speed average seven hours a day 350 miles a day Okay. Those are my those are my segments. Now, all of this was planned on Google Maps using their algorithm for avoid highways. I am not going to take any interstates unless there is no other way. I one place I cross the Mississippi River, I have to jump on an interstate to get across and then get off it because they've taken down all the other bridges and beefed up the road on the interstate. But so that's my target. I'm my target departure day is April 10th or 11th that weekend. But it's weather dependent. If there's a storm around or storm across the Midwest or the Great Lakes or something heading out, I, I'm just not going to do it until I get clear of that storm. Like last week, I would if I were ready to go, and they had all those tornadoes down in Birmingham, mm-hmm. Alabama area, I would have waited. So that's the that's the plan, and it's going to take about five actual weeks of driving, about 35 days of actual driving. Mm-hmm. Cool. Very cool. My last question for you, Ross, is what do you have to pack? What's, you know, what kind of preparations do you have to make? Are you, are you taking two or three extra fan belts and do you know where all the Lotus mechanics are along the way? Mickey, I have addressed that on my, one of my posts on my ah. blog. In fact, I addre- addressed road food in one post and I addressed uh, the spares I'm going to take in one post and I addressed the car preparation in one post. So I don't want to beat it to death. If somebody's really interested, they can go there. But yeah. here's the, here's the Reader's Digest version. I'm I'm taking enough clothes to handle about four or five days, and then I'll hit a laundromat. I'm taking enough um, 
food, uh, snacks and stuff that I can uh, sustain myself if I get lost or I'm out in the middle of nowhere and I'm really getting hungry. But the fact is there's convenience stores everywhere and I'm a Coke and Snickers kind of guy anyway. So it's not, that's not a problem. <laughs> and as far as spares and, and stuff, I've got, I have two philosophies on that that I sat down and one is that the, the first thing is that the spares you take will not break. So it will be something you didn't bring with you. So you're doomed. If you bring, unless you bring a trailer full of another car, basically you're, you, it's going to be the thing you didn't bring that breaks. Yep. <laughs> the second philosophy I have is that the car knows. <laughs> I love that. That's too funny. And if it detects fear or faithlessness, like a wild animal, it, it will smite you. It will just smite you. And I don't. So I'm telling the car, I believe in you. I, I believe in you. I know you're going to get me there. You've gotten me everywhere before. I believe in you. I trust you. Besides, I have the two most important tools any car guy can carry, a cell phone and a credit card. Exactly. Fair enough. That's that's pretty good, actually. So, well, thank you, Ross, for being our guest. I always uh, uh, end the guest segment with a handful of questions. Um, three of them are standardized. One of them is completely stupid and silly and whimsical. Are you ready? I'm ready. The first question is, what is your dream car? Wow. Uh, dream car. I suppose my dream car would be a Alpha from the fifties. What was the the Sprint Speciale, the the the, the rounded bodied version? Oh, uh, the mm-hmm. that it's 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 just something I've never had, and but I've had most of my dream cars. I'm lucky. If I I really wanted a Type fourteen Elite, I got it. I really wanted a Plus two Spider conversion, I got it. So I'm pretty pleased. Very cool. Question number two, uh, I think you've already answered this, is where's your next road trip? And uh, <laughs> I, I, know, I know we're all looking forward to, to seeing the results of this um, and your progress along that course. So we'll skip that if you have no objection. Question number three is, what's the most fascinating you, thing you've seen on the road? Are you talking about a, a site, a natural site, or a car that's on the road that I've come by? Any or all of the above. All right. A natural site, the most amazing thing I've ever seen was the uh, waterfalls that that are around the t- um, the roads that surround. The, there's a a road that goes from the tail of the dragon and Chirahala Skyway or something. And there's some beautiful waterfalls and rivers that that's just spectacular. Yeah. On the road, I was going across Nevada on Interstate 80 in the late 70s, and I was driving a a, a BMW 2002 at um, a very high rate of speed. I was probably doing 90, 95 rolling along. And I see in my rearview mirror, this dot. And I look at my, look out the windshield and I look at the instruments and stuff. And then I look at my rearview mirror again and the dot is right on my bumper. And then it wishes by me and just almost sucks me over a lane. And it's a GT, uh, a Ferrari Daytona, uh, was that GTD or GTB or something Ferrari Daytona. And he was doing 160. If he was doing a a bit, I I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And it just blew my mind. That's the most amazing thing I've seen. on the road. Very cool. (laughs) Um, And the, the last question I have for you today is what's the best type of cheese. That's easy. Hydraulic cheese. (laughs) It comes in a can. It's, it's made by uh, Nabisco. It's called, uh, 
um, Easy Cheese. That's what it's, the brand name is, Easy Cheese. And you put it on Frito Scoops, and it's a, a, a delicacy that is absolutely perfect for road trips. <laughs> that is brilliant. Ross, are awesome. you a junk food junkie? Is that what I'm hearing you say? I have been accused of that. Yes. Yeah, as I'm looking at the, the road food post on your blog. Please, when you're packing, take Lipitor. <laughs> the, some of that is slightly tongue in cheek, as you might imagine. Sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Ross, thank you for taking the time to hang with us today. I hope you'll hang for the rest of the episode and help us answer the question at the end of the thing. And, I and think Ross, I, tell us your blog one more time. Yes, please. The, it's uh, www xcountryelian all one word dot com we will make sure we put that in our show notes when we publish this episode thank you ross you're entirely welcome thanks for having me we're going to switch gears here and go to ben ben a joke for you you ready for this joke ben oh yeah how do you double the value of a triumph oh goodness this has got to be good if i thought about it for a while uh, (laughs) but uh yeah whatever it is yeah i'm sure this is gonna be good how do you double the value of a triumph can i take a shot yeah, go for it, Ross. Fill it with gas. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Even ben. if it was in a half tank, you know. <laughs> ben has the new car smell. Ben, take it away. Yeah, well, today's new car smell. Uh, Volkswagen recently uh, announced that uh, they are moving closer to bringing the ID Buzz to production. This, of course, is the all-electric sort of retro micro bus thing that they've been teasing us with. For They've been saying it's just around the corner for four or five years now. Um, so, you know, we'll see if they're serious this time. You know, of course, a lot of details still haven't been uh, announced, but they are saying it's going to start somewhere around 40000 bucks uh, and uh, should be a 2023 or 24 model at this point. And they've shown some photos of uh, you know the exterior which hasn't changed over the last few years but they've shown some interiors too it's very configurable you can slide the seats around and turn them and pop a little table out of the floor and things like that so that's coming closer and closer to reality of course this is still a company that doesn't have much in the way of electrics on the market yet uh, i think the only all electric thing they're selling right now is the id4 which is a little uh, crossover suv type thing with a similar msrp uh, and I haven't seen one out on the road yet, but uh, but they're working on it. So uh, yeah, that uh, that ID Buzz, if it ever arrives, will be the new microbus of the future. And uh, kind of looking forward to seeing that. My big, you know, uh, the thing I'm wondering about it is, uh, you know, will the electric Volkswagens of the future be any better than the gas ones of the recent past? Right. They've had some uh, you know, longevity and durability issues. I had a couple of Mark IV Golf variants. One was a four-door family hall, or the other one was a, a GTI, and they they both turned into just decrepit, you know, piles of junk after they got about five or six years old. So, hmm. um, I hope the electric VWs will be a little better than that. It's really cute. Uh, it even though it's retro, it still has a lot of new nuances that are futuristic. Uh, I I looking at some pictures the other day and I was thinking, Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. It looks like it should be pretty roomy inside. inside. I mean, and uh, yeah, it it has lots and lots of potential. So I I hope they get it right by the time they do bring it to market. Anything else, Ben? Uh, That's about it for now. 
Very cool. Excellent. Thank you, Ben. Good stuff. And I, I hope they do bring it to market. I would like to see it on the road. Uh, I think that a lot of stuff is is changing with the availability of electrical infrastructure. And I say that because uh, it, we sl- this was a this will be a perfect segue into the in the news segment today. And one of the things I wanted to put on the table was Audi abandons its internal combustion engine development. They are no longer going to put money into internal combustion R&D, which is huge news to me. Right. And, and not the least of of other, you know, it's like not the first time and probably won't be the last time we hear a major car manufacturer saying that they're not going to put any more money into gas vehicles anymore. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe that does mean that the future of electric vehicles is, is right here at our doorstep and we'll be seeing a wholesale conversion of that in within our lifetimes. Yeah, I think so. Um, and the other bit of news I had is kind of sad. So forgive me. I don't want to bring the table down, but, uh, the news that Top Gear's Sabine Schmitz died at the age of 51. I, I was very disheartened by that. I, I don't remember why she died. I think it was cancer, perhaps, but yeah, uh, it was, Aww. it was cancer, but, uh, yeah, losing a celebrity like that. She seemed like a genuinely nice person, uh, on top of everything else. But those are the only two things I've got on my in the news docket for today. Um, but, uh, but to wrap up that segment, this is not necessarily in the news, but I've got a challenge to issue all of you guys, except for Ross, of course, unless Ross wants to come back and, and, and meet us for this challenge. Um, and that challenge to you is put together your list, your top five car movies list or your top five road trip related movies list, right? It could be, it doesn't have to involve a car, but it has to involve a vehicle, right? Uh, so arguably something like Ben-Hur might actually count. <laughs> 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 bring your chariot right yeah but put together your personal top five uh you know car movie or road trip movie uh list and and let's use that as 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 fodder in a in an upcoming episode and and uh it will also issue this challenge to our listening pe- folks if if our listeners have any favorite car movies or road trip you know journey oriented movies please send them in via our website that's the thing about cars.com or via our Facebook page. I think that's facebook.com slash the thing about cars. Uh, and we will definitely look forward to your suggestions there. Um, uh, should we do a quick, quick uh, moment of viewer mail or listener mail and, and do a worst car story? Why not? All right. So the worst car story I have today is from our friend, Deborah Brightwell. Deborah says, <laughs> you're going to love this. Deborah says she had a Dodge Colt Vista wagon. And I'm thinking, I haven't seen, I mean, there's a reason we haven't seen those since like the eighties, right? They're all gone and they should be, uh, <laughs> the, the Dodge Colt Vista wagon. She says, love the body style when I could keep it running <laughs> in the three years I had it. I went through three timing belts, two fuel pumps, three starters, a water pump, a distributor gear. And then she forgot the last major repair, uh, that possibly a crankshaft. She got it patched just enough to drive around town only until she could get a new job to replace it. And then on the way home from renewing the tag totaled the car. So she couldn't even get a refund on the tag. I'm not sure what that means exactly. Uh, this was the same week she got divorced and laid off. So the car was just the icing on that cake. <laughs> yeah, ouch. One month later, she had a new job and replaced that car with the Toyota Tercel. And that was a great car. And she got that totaled. Uh, she says she thinks her cars have a hit me sign on them. So <laughs> like, yeah, you know what? The- I'm going to go back to what Ross just said. Yeah. The car knows. <laughs> the car knows. Yes. Please take the hit me sign off of your car, Deborah. Um, 
Man, good. Yeah, as I, I, I'm going to actually make a recommendation to Deborah. The the problem with the cars may actually be manifesting something that you're bringing into this. You know, I don't know. I don't know if there is a therapist out there that specializes in car related, you know, psychoses. But but we may want to actually, if you are, send us your information. We'll post you on our website. <laughs> <laughs> If if you're if you're a car therapist, <laughs> otherwise known as a mechanic, maybe, or, or an exorcist, or an ex- <laughs> well, recently I had um, posted you know our podcast on my LinkedIn page, and there was a question by uh, a friend of mine that you know was like, well, con- congratulations on doing this podcast, but you know she was kind of like why should we care about cars? Like, what, what is that about? And, and why should, you know, why should we even deal with cars anymore? And I'm like, Oh, this is such a great opening to talk about the evolution of cars and how much I love cars. And, and, and then I had to go, Ooh, I better answer this in a very thoughtful way. Cause I could tell, you know, she's an inner city person, you know, probably taking a lot of Lyft and Uber and, you know, trying to separate, I think, from needing a car. And I was like, oh, this is such a great opportunity. But then I had to think about, you know, in the future, as we've talked about many times, what will cars be like? I mean, Ross's road trip is so phenomenal mm-hmm. and just gives me so many goosebumps and thinking about it. And, you know, it's it's in a car that's vintage and, um, you know, going to get a lot of looks and what in 50 years you know i've been saving a car that's 2004 i can't wait till it hits that 25 year so i can put a um you know an antique tag you know license plate on it but man and just wondering about where will cars be in 50 years and all of yeah. that it's it's hard to explain but i think that the you know the answer is that cars are archetypal cars go right into that space of 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 even ancient humanity that has everything to do with your ability to get around and to do things and explore and to be in touch with the country around you right and by country i mean actual land and real estate not politics but uh you know it's we're, we're that cars have replaced the horse <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's literally that at just that archetypal, but I'll, I'll get off my soapbox now. Um, let's wrap the episode and answer Tim's grand trivia auto question. Shall we? Yeah, let's shall. Let's do it. All right. So the question via Tim Rogers was in February, the temperature got down to 50 degrees below zero. That's negative 46 degrees Celsius in Northeast Minnesota. According to the 2020 owner's manuals for each of these cars, how low does the temperature have to be before you have to get your Nissan Leaf and Tesla Model S, Tesla Model S out of town in order to, uh, uh, you know, in order to not kill the battery because of the cold? So I'm going to read these in reverse order from I, my original um, presentation. So the first choice is uh, you have to evacuate the Leaf at negative 13 degrees Fahrenheit and the Model S at negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit, or is it? Negative four Fahrenheit for the leaf, negative 13 for the S Fahrenheit. And the last choice is, is it 32 degrees Fahrenheit for the leaf and 10 degrees Fahrenheit for the S? And that's a bit convoluted, but uh, let's give Ross the first, first dibs here on the, on the answer for this question. I think it's B, the middle one. I think it's, uh, the, um, 13 below or 13 degrees for the S and. So Ross is saying the leaf has to get evacuated at negative four degrees Fahrenheit and the model S needs to get evacuated at negative 13 degrees Fahrenheit. Don, what do you think? 
this one's just stumping me completely. I mean, I'm 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 sciencing it too much. I, I'm going to go with what Ross says, B, because there could be so many different variables. Sure, Dave. You know, um, batter, one of the reasons this is germane is batteries lose potential at lower uh, at lower temperatures. Basically, they they, they lose juice. I think actually, though, you know, so to Don's point from the science, I'm going to go in the middle because I think 32 is too high. That means no one will be able to drive them in Atlanta in the winter. Um, and the other one just feels to me like it, it's too low. So I'm going with B. Ben? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 32 would eliminate a whole lot of uh, the potential market. So that seems a little ridiculous. Although that also contradicts my instinct to choose the most conservative answer because of lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> Since they seem to write a lot of stuff. Right. Uh, so I guess I'll go with the middle one just because it's not as lame as that. <laughs> so you guys have a clean sweep. You're all choosing the middle one. And in fact, the answer is the harshest conditions. Uh, the leaf must be evacuated at negative 13 degrees Fahrenheit. And the model S must be evacuated at negative 22 degrees. Uh, according to Tim Rogers, who actually gave us references and, and cited his references here. It says out of the Tesla uh, owner's manual, it says for better long-term performance, avoid exposing your model S to ambient temperatures above 140 degrees Fahrenheit, also known as 60 degrees Celsius or negative 22 degrees Fahrenheit for more than 24 hours at a time. And uh, similarly, the leaf says if the outside temperature is the negative 13 degrees Fahrenheit, the lithium ion battery may freeze and it cannot be charged or provide power to run the vehicle move the thing to a warmer location. So there you have it. Thank you, Tim, for stumping our crew today. Um, and uh, and uh, we'll hope your Hummel habit uh, continues in, in good fashion. And uh, thanks to Ross again for being our guest. Uh, we will definitely uh, uh, mention, I had it here a second ago. There it is. We will definitely put xcountryelan.com in our show notes and hope that our listeners visit and follow your progress around the country. And uh, am I forgetting anything else, you guys? What else do we need to say before we before we sign off? Hey, I want to go back to what you mentioned before, tell, um, inviting our listeners to send in what their favorite uh, uh, road trip movie or journey movie is. But I want sure. to take it a step further. I want to know what it is and why does the movie speak to you? Okay, cool. So right, and when and we're talking about car movies and or road trip movies in general. Right. So yes, top five, and and I like that. Why does that movie speak to you? That's excellent. Yeah, Thank and, you, Dave. and and given the broad spectrum of our listener group, I'm expecting some really touching, poignant, and truly disturbing answers. <laughs> <laughs> so right. we yeah, and we can definitely say so. It's either the car move, the car is a central part of the movie, or an important part of the movie, or it's a road trip. I think, more. yeah, both should apply. I don't know that we need to separate car movies versus road trip movies at this point. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, thanks, everybody. Thank you, Ross, again for being our guest. And uh, hope that our listeners are out there staying safe and getting vaccinated. We'll see you with another episode in about a week. Take care, everybody. See ya. Bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. This has been The Thing About Cars. We'll see you on the road.